Earthquakes, lightning, pouring rain, tornadoes, tsunamis, and a hurricane. Killer Earth. And we are live. Woohoo! Hello, welcome to Killer Earth. Welcome to Killer Earth. We've got our cocktails. Well, I don't, but. <laughs> oh, okay, I do. I took some Midol. I just popped it at Tylenol PM. We're popping pills over here. We both have headaches. Oh, you yeah. just took a PM? Yeah, I took one. How, when are you going to get drowsy? Like, in- uh, it takes like two hours oh, for really? me. Yeah. I was saying before we started recording that I am too afraid to take Tylenol PM for some reason. Yeah. I'm, I'm afraid of taking any like sleep suppressant, um, not suppressants, like sleeping aids. Really? It just freaks me out. I don't know. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> I know. I know. It makes me kind of like high. It's like, right. well, only when I'm getting drowsy, not really even high is the right word, but I just feel so relaxed. And then I have like really amazing, crazy dreams. I mean, they're not all amazing, but they're wild. And I kind of like that. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Keeps me entertained. I like this type of sleep where you don't remember anything in between you. Oh, really? Yeah. Like like you just wake up. Like, I don't really love dreaming. Oh, I love it. Because usually I have a dream where like I meet a guy that is cool and likes me and that never happens in real life. So (laughs) (laughs) whatever. So I always wake up. I always wake up so depressed. Oh no. I've had those dreams too. Like for sure. And it's like the, it's like, it actually happened. And it feels like it actually happened and then it didn't. It's like, oh. I know. It's so sad. So sad. So, um, yeah, I have a little bit of a hangover because um, I went to a birthday dinner last night. And then I came home and my mom had my daughter for their weekly sleepover. So I had some drinks by myself last night. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So. I'm just getting older and have arthritis. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's why I'm, that's the, why I'm taking Tylenol. Same. But yeah. It's just like, ugh, I can't get over my knee issues and just annoying. So I spent my whole day having an argument. I hate, I hate to be this person, but I spent my entire day having an argument on mm-hmm. Facebook, on my town's like community forum <laughs> group. Yeah. There is a drag queen story hour coming to our little town's library tomorrow. That's so fun. It's so fun. I couldn't believe it when I saw it on Facebook. I think my aunt actually sent me the link. I was just so excited. I chose to leave Portland, Maine with, you know, and raise my daughter here in Vermont. It's Mm -hmm. a very different place, but I wanted to be close to my parents and you know my my older brother has children yeah and i miss the diversity first of all of the city and i miss everything that comes with living in a, a bigger area mm-hmm. but one of the things that i like mourn that i don't have here for lola is stuff like this totally yeah you know so i just was thrilled when i saw that it was coming here you know i couldn't believe it and there's this guy in town that I have mutual friends with. I've I've been at parties that he's been at. We've never had a conversation, but I know him. He is 
campaigning to have this shut down. That's so stupid. Yeah. And has emailed the library. The librarian posted on Facebook that he's like angrily emailed them several times or, you know, maybe it wasn't several times, but it might've been a back and forth. You should see his posts uh, in, in the group, the town group. It's, he's nuts. He's a crazy person. And I just can't do it. I was like, I never comment on this community forum. I think like once I have. Yeah. I lit him the fuck up last night and today. I'm getting private messages from people I've never met in my community that are like, thank you, that don't want to be, that don't want to publicly express their necessarily like their issue, but they're like, thank you for speaking out. This guy's crazy. I mean, this is a young guy with like a, a family. They're not taking their kids to it, him and his wife. Yeah. But he's still trying to get it shut down. Like he, I, he yeah. it, it's, it's nuts. It's, it's actually disgusting. It is. It's like, it's, it's just like, you don't, people like that and just shouldn't be in society. <laughs> this, is the, this, is like kicker, this is the kicker though. This is the kicker. His wife is a photographer. A big part of her business is doing sexy boudoir photos. I've seen many of them from girls that have gone to her. Mm -hmm. So, and we have a mutual friend who's a burlesque dancer who posts about it all the time on Facebook. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm failing to see how this guy has a problem with drag queens, but his wife in their home is taking pictures of naked women for a business, making money off of it. Yeah. You know, it's just strong. So I'm glad you were the voice for your community. Well, you know, I just, it's again, it's like stuff like that, that I knew would happen moving back here to this, you know, less progressive area than, you know, say a a bigger city. But, um, yeah, that's how, that's what I spent my day doing. And I, it's like that weird Facebook keyboard guilt you feel when you're talking to someone in a certain way. Mm-hmm. Some like there were I made several comments there were a few where I was like oh maybe I was being a bitch but yeah. then it's like but I'm standing up for something I believe in I don't know it's like it's like that mixed bag of like post argument anxiety yeah but you know sometimes like you really have to stand up for what's right because a lot of people don't have the courage to do that and so like props to you for you know having a voice and you know it's just this guy clearly doesn't have any time on his, or he has time on his hands. Like, I just don't get it. You know, it's just stupid. He, I, he's one of the last people considering what his wife does for a living that I would expect would have such a, a, an aggressive moral stance Mm -hmm. on this issue. Um, it's baffling. It really is. But yeah, you know, as I, as I, said to one of my good friends today um i just i didn't go through what i went through in life to like not say what i want when it's appropriate yeah you know absolutely it's just like we you know and he can say what he wants to say he's more than you know justified in exercising his first amendment right too but yeah well i hope you have the best time i know i'm so excited at the story time drag I'm going to be amazing. So excited. None of my friends here will go with me. Um, <laughs> oh, I would totally go. I know you would love it. I think I'm going to invite um, 
some more people. Also, fun fact for you listeners who don't know, Vanessa and I used to take burlesque. And Vanessa yes. actually like was in shows. Like you I, were really good at it. I was. I performed in four shows. Oh, you were so amazing. I loved it. It was so fun. I have a little bit of like an acting ability, like a a little bit. Like I yeah. could probably act if I needed to. And burlesque is a part kind of acting. So it, cause I, I can't like dance or anything, but I. Yes, you can. You well, are I, amazing. Thank you. I, you, you sat front row at one of the seats and you got pulled up on stage. <laughs> oh yeah. What was my game? <laughs> Didn't you have to like give a hand job to something that was like supposed to explode? It was like a hand It was job a balloon. Race. Yeah. It like pumped up the balloon and it the first person that burst the balloon won. Yes. And okay. So I hate balloon popping. Mm-hmm. So I was terrified, but I, I don't, I don't think I won or something. I don't know, but it was really fun. Yeah. That was a great show, but yeah, it was, um, we used to go, I mean, you, you did it like almost not professionally is the word, but you kind of did like you went into it and like did it. Like, um, and then I like took classes with you and I remember we'd like go after work and it was so fun. Yeah. We, I remember we went to our first class with our friend, Kate, my mom was in town helping me with Lola, who was a baby Mm -hmm. and, or maybe she might've been one. Mm -hmm. She just yelled, I'm not a baby. (laughs) (laughs) Um, hi, (laughs) low. And I remember, remember I like made you guys come with me. I'm like, I found, cause, cause we all wanted to take a dance class. And I was like, wait, there's like a stripper burlesque dance studio. We are going oh, and you guys were it like, was mm. so fun. And then yeah. we went and it, yeah, it was like the best time ever. And I miss that studio so much. Shout out to Miss E if you're Miss listening. E, we, love you. we love you. I know. I'd like to go back if you're ever, you know, in town and want to do that. I've we never also- been able to go back. When oh I'm yeah. Important. It makes me too sad. That's true. But we also did a hip hop, hip hop class, which was like a disaster. I can't, I can't, I'm, I'm horrible. It was so fun. But like, we also made like a ton of drinks like to go. And so like we, cause you could bring your drinks there. They, they encourage drinking there. Yeah. Especially if you're just taking a class for fun. Even when we, I was doing performance classes for the shows, you could drink like Missy didn't give a shit. You just couldn't be like, you had to be sober enough to be able to dance. Yeah, That's when totally. she would probably have an issue. But she she was so she's like the coolest. Like, she, yeah. So cool. I mean, it like I think Matt and I are gonna go to hip hop again. You should. Um, and I think, but I'm I'm not gonna bring a drink this time. I like I actually like really want to like try, but I'm like oh, the ter- worst like dancer, so it'll be so fun. Yeah. Anyway, anyway. so you have a little bit of. A, a story before we get into the topic that you wanted to talk about. Oh yeah. I, so I shared this with you. Um, I think today or yesterday, I can't remember now, but, um, I guess like, and it was on the news. So maybe some of you listeners have already seen, like heard about it, but there were two kids like, uh, digging. So it was like, it was like a, a sand dune on the beach, not really a sand dune, but it was like a mound of sand that was already there. And these like two like teenagers, I think, um, one was like 13 years old. I don't know how old the other one was, but they were like digging a 10 foot hole in like a tunnel in the sand dune. And they were doing what they were like using a Frisbee to like dig it. And so they made it like 
really long and then like they got like it collapsed on them and they got Mm. trapped and um horrible i know and then so i guess like it was at um let's see it was in new jersey yeah it yeah it was in new jersey and one of them died they couldn't get him out Uh, um so awful yeah. So actually, you know what? This is so weird. It said, okay. So it said New Jersey beach. Oh, okay. So that happened at New Jersey beach. And then it said three days after in Utah, um, a 13 year old boy was tunneling into a sand dune and killed. So this is like two incidences this week in Utah. Yeah. Huh. Okay, yeah, I had I I only heard about the teenage boys on the beach. I for some reason I thought it happened in Florida, but um yeah, this this article I have pulled up the Washington Post it says um Levy was 18 and his sister was 17. They were from Maine actually, Union, Maine, and they were visiting Toms River, New Jersey with their family. Oh, right. And then they were digging that 10-foot hole using frisbees and at some point the hole collapsed. And then um, I guess the sister was rescued and treated at the scene, but um, Caverly, uh, which is the last name, uh, Ian, uh, I think that's his first name. I, this is not my research topic, so <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Levy was the one who died, I guess. Um, so that's, really that's his first that. name. Yeah, Levi. 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 Yeah. That's so awful. That poor family. And yeah. to go to, I mean, so he basically just suffocated in the dark. I know. That's what that would be like. Oh, so terrible. So like, please don't like dig tunnels in the sand. I saw something <laughs> earlier today where I, a, I think a woman who was right there, but she didn't know them, but she was on the beach. She like wanted to say something to them about how dangerous that was, but she like didn't want to be a Karen is what she said. She didn't want to like, <gasps> she didn't want them to like be like, think she was you know being a know-it-all obnoxious asshole so she didn't say anything and i I swear i saw something like that maybe it was on tiktok she i mean that's so sad because you know she has guilt over that it's like no one wants to be a karen they shouldn't have been doing that and it's pretty much common knowledge that you don't dig in sand because it will collapse so yeah i don't know what they were thinking i mean i know they're kids but it's like one of those things where i don't know it's it's yeah totally i mean maybe a lot of people just aren't they just don't know i don't know because this one okay so the it's on the same article. This is why I was getting confused. So that happened in New Jersey. And then it said like the same week, it said on Saturday, 13 year old Ian Spenlove from Santa Clara, Utah died after becoming trapped in a tunnel. He was digging in the side of a sand dude at coral pink sand dune state park in Southwestern Utah. And it said after the sand collapsed, a family member um, who was with the boy got help from the other visitors and law enforcement officers who immediately started digging to find him. And then after about a half hour later, he was found more than six feet beneath the sand. Oh God. Yeah. I saw a video years ago where these kids were 
digging like a system of tunnels in on a beach and it collapsed and it took them forever to dig this kid out, this teenager. Oh. And they, uh, he might've been even in his early twenties and they got him out. But I mean, mm. he was, he was minutes away from dying. Like, but it, it was, I think, oh, they had to bring like a, um, an excavator in. Oh my God. It, it's so much sand. You don't realize how much sand, you know, six feet of sand in like a, you know, 10, 20 foot area. It's, yeah. you can't just like dig someone out. It's, it, you don't have time. Okay. You want to do a, uh, would you rather? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Vanessa and I've been talking about this, by the way, I think we're going to start doing like, would you rather segments, but we didn't plan for this, but would you rather be buried under sand like that or drowned? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Or, 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 or sorry, not that's not even fair. Because that's you could, the worst. Would you rather ever? I know. <laughs> would you rather be trapped under sand like that, or be stuck in quicksand with the tide coming up? Quicksand <gasps> with the tide coming up, because now I know what to do. Yeah, you in you enlightened all of us with how you get out. Yes, and which I those... don't remember, but I would I would double check <laughs> again. Remember, you would like you would go on, you would, uh, go on your back. You would try to lean back. You have to, right. Okay. Yeah. Got it. You lean back on your back to like, um, equalize the pressure on the sand. So it'll yeah, your legs. Cause you're, if you're trying to kick your legs like up to get out, you're actually just sinking yourself even more. Yeah. So you I, lean back to get out. It's just, it, all of it is so terrifying. Yeah. Tell us what you'd rather do. Can I, <laughs> let's do one more. Would you rather? Okay. <laughs> We're going to get better at this, but. So well, I used to play this all the time with um, my brother, Owen and my best friend, Hannah. And like, after I would do the, would you rather they would choose? Owen would always get so mad at me because I would, I would add something in <laughs> and he'd be like, you can't change it after we decide. And I was like, yes, you can. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so okay. Would you rather Actually, this is a non this is my favorite would you rather. It doesn't have anything to do with natural disasters, but I ask everybody this. Okay, do it. Okay. <laughs> would you rather <laughs> I can't I'm laughing because Oh my god, what? I torture Owen with this. Okay, would you rather Two minutes before a really important job interview, you pee your pants uh-huh. and you have no time to change. So you show up with a huge wet spot uh-huh. in your crotch and down your legs and you smell like urine. Okay. And there's absolutely, you cannot be late for this job interview. You have to show up. Did you eat asparagus the night before? No, but like it smells <laughs> like urine. Okay. It's not asparagus. It's like regular urine, but it's like clearly you have pissed yourself. Okay. <laughs> Would you or, rather, and this is a, this is your dream job that you, ha- you want to get uh-huh. or at the beginning of a 10 hour flight, you shit yourself and you don't have another pair of underwear or leggings for the rest of the flight. What, uh, what do you have? Nothing. <laughs> you don't have anything in your bag, in your carry on. So you smell like shit the whole flight for a 10 hour flight. Or you show up at your dream interview and you're covered in piss. 
<laughs> and you smell horrible. Okay, I would. And they're sitting there being like, why is this person smelling here? <laughs> the job interview. Okay, I would show up in my own pee because I would say, oh my God, you'll never believe what happened. Like a cat, like jumped <laughs> on me and peed all over me. A cat. <laughs> Like I'd like why, I'd why come a up cat, with some a ex- dog is way more believable than a cat. Well, <laughs> a cat smells like really bad urine. So like, you know, not to say that mine like really smells, but maybe it does. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but like I would like make up some excuse of like why I'm wet and why I smell. Like a car like drove by me and like splashed me with this sewage. And like, I'm so sorry. I didn't have time to change. Okay. It's not sewage though. It's urine. And it clearly came from your body because of the pattern <laughs> on you. It doesn't look like you were splashed. It okay. clearly looks like you peed your pants. I would like make up some story about how like I was so scared and like I got like kidnapped and I peed myself and I'm really scared. Can we reschedule? <laughs> <laughs> kidnapped. What would you do? I would, I would, um, pro- yeah, probably the interview because on the plane, you're just in your own. You don't want to sit in that. Even, well, no, I, you would go to the bathroom and like clean yourself up, but like you're, it's still dirty. Yeah. Okay. Wait. Okay. I have one more, one more before okay. we start. Okay. This is the other one that I always ask people. Okay. Okay. This is actually a better one. Would you rather have to wear for a full year a pair of cutoff jorts? Okay. Like like Daisy Dukes Uh to literally every function you go to for one year. I'm talking holidays, middle of winter. And they're jorts? They're cut off almost with your ass cheeks hanging out. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's fine. Okay, bring it to me. Okay, <laughs> would you and unplug it? Okay, so would you rather have to for one calendar year, three hundred and sixty-five days, you have to wear cut-off denim shorts every okay. single day, wherever you go, whatever you do. Okay, so you're gonna look ridiculous. It's yeah. several things, or for one calendar year, would you rather wear a full face of clown makeup every single day, no matter what? I would wear the shorts a hundred percent. So you're going to be hell. Yeah. You're going to be in negative 10 degree main winters going already, to the store. I already kind of do that anyway. You wear short shorts in the middle of winter. Yeah. Because I, I go to like spin or yoga every like, like day almost. And like, I wear like really short biker shorts because I cannot be like the other girls in my class and wear leggings. It is too hot. I get overheated like so bad that I like, I, w- I refuse to wear like leggings during any of those classes. So I'm already wearing them. So I would totally wear that because clown makeup is like very terrifying. <laughs> I, think, I think that that actually is a better one for a guy. Yeah. Because the idea of like a dude wearing <laughs> jorts. <laughs> What did Owen say he would do? He was like so annoyed. 
It's, when I play this game with him, he acts like it's really going to happen and he gets pissed at me. I'm like, this is not, this, these are hypotheticals. We're just playing a game. Like, relax. I love it. We're going to play this every episode going forward, whether it's like Killer Earth related or not. Yeah, I just wanted to just get so those, you know. I wanted to get those non-Killer Earth ones off my chest because those are legit the ones we always talk about, like me and him. Yeah, I love it. So well, that was a fun game. That was fun. We'll think of more in the future. Yeah, and I think this is not official, but I think it is. I think we're going to start having like guests, like friends of the podcast come on and um my brother definitely wants to be on and he's hilarious yeah and they're not going to do any topics but they're going to like be a part of it like they can like yeah yeah we're not going to make our guests like do a topic yeah unless like one of them really really wanted to one day but oh my god yeah so anyway fun things to come so should we get into it yeah let's do it Okay. Okay. So I am covering my like biggest nemesis of all time. Static electricity. Okay. So <laughs> I'm still confused how this is going to be a topic. I You told me about this ahead of time, which yeah. we sometimes do. Sometimes we do. Well, we didn't want to overlap yeah. topics. But this, I mean, I'm, when you told me, I was like, how, what? Okay. I trust you. Yeah. Okay. So why is it? I also didn't know it was your biggest nemesis. You've never told me that. Yeah. No. Yes, I have. Static electricity. Like what? Like when you get shocked, when you touch them. Yeah. You know how bad it is. Remember? Like I like, oh, maybe you don't. I don't know. I thought I told, I can see bolts of lightning from my finger to the door. I've never I have the worst static electricity of known to man. I, I I have never heard this. I swear to God. I had no oh idea God. this bothered you. I literally shock people and shock myself more what? than I think I know of anybody else. I, I don't I know why. E- I can't even remember the last time I got shocked by anything. It, it never happens to me. Yeah. Mine. Okay. So I, this is how bad I am. Like, literally, you guys probably won't believe me, but I know some of you will because I know you've seen it before with your own eyes. But I can, if I'm charged enough and, like, touch something metal, I have seen the literal light of electricity go from my fingers to the the metal. That's crazy. Not joking. So it's so bad for me in the winter. Obviously, like, that's when it is bad, and I'll explain why. Um, But... I, I have a tradition. I actually still do it in the summer because I'm so terrified that when I get out of my car to get gas, I immediately, while I'm still sitting, I open the door and I immediately touch the metal on the outside of the car with one hand as I get out so that I'm, I'm holding onto metal. And I, I, I hold on to that car until I, um, reach for the handle and get the gas situated. Like I never let my hand off the metal and that prevents uh, a shock. It prevents the shock. I was thinking maybe you were worried about like shocking the gas. Well, I am. Yeah, but the gas is all protected by like, it is, but there's been instances like where, you know, if you have the, um, 
the handle up and it's, you know, ready to go. And there's like gas going and you like, you can easily in the winter, like charge and create a spark of electricity. And I just, I just have it so bad that like, I'm paranoid and I used to shock. I used to get shocked all the time getting out of the car. Cause there's like something from the friction and this only happens in the winter really, but I'm, I'm so scared that I do it in the summer, but the friction from like sitting and getting up. Um, I always used to like get shocked. This is so bizarre. I, yeah. I can't believe this happens to you that much. Yeah. Okay. Wild. All right. Let's talk about static electricity. Okay. So my sources are chemistryworld.com, 64parishes.org, nola.com, um, wikipedia, dailyco.uk, science.org, cron2.com, which is a Hawaiian news station, um, cen.acs.org, which is chemical and engineering news, um, pbs.org, live science, Britannica, and Kennedy electric Wow. You have a lot of sources. Thanks. And I have a ton of like cool videos to post cool. when we do our posts. So, mm-hmm. okay. What is static electricity? Um, so everybody's experienced that before. I'm sure um, it's static electricity is an electric phenomenon that happens. Uh, sorry. In which charged particles are transferred from one body to another. For example, if two objects are rubbed together, especially if the objects are insulators and the surrounding air is dry, the objects acquire equal and opposite charges. Um, small electric shock caused by static electricity um, usually happens during the cold or in dry weather. So mm, that's okay. why like in the winter it's like worse. Yeah. Um, so this is just um, how like it was accidentally uh, discovered. Like, well, so the Leiden jar is a device that holds or, or like stores static electricity. And it was like accidentally discovered um, by Dutch physicist Pieter van Muschenbroek of the university of Leiden in 1746. And then it was independently like studied um, by German inventor Ewald George von Kleist in 1745. Um, So in the earliest form, the Leiden jar was a glass vial and it was partly filled with water. Um, The orifice of the jar um, was closed by a cork pierced with a wire or a nail that like dipped into the water and um, to charge the jar, the exposed end of the wire was brought into contact with a friction device that produced static electricity. So when the contact was broken, a charge could be demonstrated by touching the wire with the hand and receiving a shock. Um, so that's just kind of like what it is or how it, you know. That's how and, they figured out. Yeah. And it happens. Yeah. And so... Um, the Leiden jar is really important because it's a, it's a prototype of capacitors. Um, and I'll explain more of that later, but basically to a capacitor is where you have two plates, you have a top and a bottom plate, and then you have, you know, a jar in between that like stores the energy and, um, 
A capacitor is widely used in radios, television sets, and electric and electronic equipment. And I'll get more into how that works later. Um, It's pretty interesting. So here are a few simple tips to get rid of static electricity. Um, One is to get a humidifier. And um, so dry air is among the leading cause of static electricity. Um, It's especially prominent in the winter um, due to the the intense use of heating units. Um, So that's one way to help. Um, Another way is to wear low static shoes and fabrics. Um, So one of the most common culprits of static electricity buildup is in clothing, Um, In particular, rubber-soled shoes are excellent insulators that build up static on people's body. Um, An insulator meaning, like, you're, like, charging up for it. Okay, so, okay. (laughs) But, like, coupled with wool socks or sweaters, they all provide the ingredients for getting zapped. (laughs) So, that's interesting because don't they say, like, rubber is a good thing to be around if there's lightning yeah it's like exactly but like like, or is that a myth maybe that's a myth no 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 um rubber tire like if you're in your car you're like way safer than being out of your car because of the the rubber Mm -hmm. but the the thing is is that um the the tires there's a whole it's really hard to explain but like when lightning hits um, the rubber stops it. So it can't flow anymore. Um, like I'm not explaining this right. So, so in the way that, uh, rubber absorbs lightning when you're creating static electricity with your rubber sold shoes, it's building up in the rubber. It's yeah. It's building up. So when you touch metal, it's like, burp. Gotcha. yeah, <laughs> yeah. And yeah, exactly. Um, And I'll explain the flow of electricity in like a normal human way because I'm not a scientist. Let's all let's all remind each other of that. (laughs) Yeah, we're unfortunately not not scientists. No, I don't have Um, any degrees. Yeah, you do. You have like an art degree. Yeah, exactly. Not a science one. Um, So, yeah, coupled with wool socks or sweaters, it's like that makes it you're you're charging yourself basically. And then the same goes Mm -hmm. for nylon and polyester. So like, obviously it's really hard to avoid like these materials, like, so you can't like live like that, but you can try other options and, um, cotton and leather sold shoes are actually better for really preventing, um, static electricity. Yeah. Gotcha. I feel like all shoes have rubber. I know on the bottom. I know. Like, I don't, I don't think I ever had owned a leather sold shoe. Um, you can add baking soda to your laundry. Um, baking soda serves as a barrier barrier between negative and positive charges, keeping them from creating static electricity. Makes sense. Um, yeah. And it says to prevent shocks, add a fourth, a cup of baking soda to your regular cycle. (laughs) Wow. There's a recipe for you. Do you do that? No, I'm going to, I'm going to start. Oh, cool. I think it would help your clothes smell really good too. Yeah. Cause it absorbs odor. Yeah. Um, and then obviously you can buy products that are like 
static electricity, like products that you can spray, but obviously you can use fabric softeners to reduce static presence. It also says another easy solution is to pull your clothing out of the dryer while it's damp and hang it air dry because like the, the friction in the dryer is like another reason you get static electricity. Okay. Can I tell you, my mom is a psycho with laundry. Mm -hmm. She forces me. I I don't even live with her right now. She forces me to hang up everything and Mm. let it air dry. She's so crazy. Yeah. But you have literally you're, you have the softest clothes. Like, I've told you this. Like I I'm like, do. Oh yeah. I like, hang everything. That's why. That's why. I thought it was, I feel like they're more soft when they come out of the dryer. When they hang mm. them up, they're like stiff. I think their softness lasts longer when you air dry because I am obsessed with like fleece. I like wear it every day of my life. And like, you know, how fleece gets like really like not soft after washing. Yeah. Like your fleece stays forever. <laughs> so I we're learning things about each other tonight. I had no idea you have such a like terrible issue with static electricity. Mm-hmm. And I also didn't know that you feel like my clothes are soft. I don't remember you telling They're me that. So soft. That's a really remember, nice compliment. <laughs> well, remember we got the same, like really, what was it? A fleece like thing on Amazon. It's, it's it was like, like those teddy bear jackets that were oh. really trendy like three years ago. Yeah, we both got one and mine like went to hell and yours is like still soft. Oh yeah, I would never put that in the dryer because oh yeah, Terry, my mother is ingrained in me what a like terrible human being I would be if I used a dryer. (laughs) Yeah, so you should do that. And it prevents static electricity, so that's good. Um, And then you can remove it from your carpets and rugs. Um like a lot of the times you get static electricity from just like walking on rugs. Um, and you can apply an anti-static spray on the surface to prevent charges from buildup. But in addition, you can add indoor plants to areas with softer floors as certain plant species can naturally increase humidity levels and lessen static electricity. Wow. And you know, what's funny is I don't ever get shocked in my place. I always get shocked. Like other places like I can feel it it's like a feeling I have when I walk in a room like Mm -hmm. I immediately can sense it Um, and I have so yeah I have so many plants in my apartment that like I was wondering about that when I was doing this research I was like oh that's probably why I never get shocked plants just do so much good you know yeah they do so many amazing things Mm -hmm. um you can rub upholstery with dryer sheets, uh, you know, it also helps with the odor. So you're killing two birds with one stone, but, um, that reduces static electricity. Um, and you can make use of metal objects, hence why I hold on to the car. And I, I didn't even know exactly what I was doing, but I knew it worked. Yeah. Like when I got, so it says the easiest fix to static electricity may be to carry a safety pin or a metal key in a pocket. Touching it before anything else transfers electron, sorry, transfers electron charges to safeguard against shocks. Mm. So when you already have metal on you, it like, it like, um, does something to your, cause like you're essentially a capacitor, like storing those I, electrons. Again, like having a, a, um, lightning rod on your house. Yeah. You yeah. Ha- it, the lightning hitting your home and yeah. Fire. Yeah. So you can also use a metal hanger and gently rub it against clothes before putting them on. 
the object will collect any static electricity and allow you to dress comfortably. Wow. Isn't that so cool? It's cool, but I, it's like, I'm sitting here being like, it's weird to me that people have such an issue with this, that they have to take these steps. And I feel bad that, because being shocked sucks. Yeah. I'm deathly afraid of it. And you can ask out a lot of my family members. Like I shock people all the time and I, I get shocked too in the process, but I'll like barely touch you or like give you a hug and I'll shock you. Oh my God. So weird. Yeah. It's like, I, I, it's really, really weird. Um, okay. So that's just some like info about it. I mean, there's probably a lot of other info that I like don't care to get into because it's very scientific and that's just not my bag. So um, I'm going to get into how static electricity has called, has caused problems and death. <laughs> wow. I can't believe this. Yeah. Okay. It's okay. So um, I'm going to go to new Orleans um, and I'm going to go to a town called West Wago. Um, it has about 12,000 people and it's on the West bank of Jefferson parish, uh, which is greater new Orleans area. Mm-hmm. And, um, it had special, like, so this town had specialized in industries, taking advantage of the railroad access that was there. And it also had deep draft riverfront, meaning like bigger boats could easily get into it. It was like deep. Um, so like, basically they were a big place for like lumber, aluminum, oil refining, seafood processing, um, electric power generation, um, and transshipment from like the railroad. Um, so West Wago specialized in the business of storage. They just had like a ton of room and obviously like they were getting products in and out. Um, so companies stored everything from oil, alcohol, and molasses to corn wheat, soybeans, and oats, allowing producers to wait out um, markets until the price is right to ship the supply chain. So it was a big storage place, basically, for all these things. Mm-hmm. Um, grain elevators had a particularly ideal home in West Wago as its riverfront was relatively uncluttered and its land use zoning compatible with their hulking machines and intricate mechanical equipment. Um, so like grain, I had to look up what a grain elevator was. I thought it was like an, like an elevator that took grain up. <laughs> <laughs> like a, like a, like an elevator you would get into in a building. Yeah. But it's actually, um, it's a facility designed to stockpile or store grain. Um, and also by the way, this was like one of the, like, it was like the hugest like port of new Orleans. It was the busiest grain port in the world. So they wow. had a lot of grain there. Yeah. Um, and this is, I'm going to like 1977, by the way, but I'm just kind of describing this area. Um, so the green, you know, green elevator is, um, they store green there, um, in the green trade, the term green elevator also describes a tower containing a bucket elevator or a conveyor, which scoops up the grain from a lower level and deposit it in a silo. Um, a silo which, silo. Thank you. Which is a, um, a tower or pit on a farm used to store grain. So it's like one of those big, like towers that you see that's like full of grain. Yeah. It's a circular tower. Yes. You said silo. Yeah. It's a oh, silo. They're all okay. over here. 
Okay. There's one that's like broken down that I drive by all the time when I go to my dad's. Mm. Yep. And there is like a um like a conveyor belt. Oh, okay. That brings grain, I think. Yeah. Maybe not. Okay, so um, the Continental Grain Company was one of nine elevators between Baton Rouge and New Orleans and among the largest in the Lower South. Um, so it was a hundred million, it was a hundred million dollar complex with 73 silos that were lined up. So it was like this huge place and it was called the Continental Grain Company. Um, you could store 6 million bushels of soybeans, oats, and wheat. Um, and that that were like brought to and fro on steel on steel conveyors, like connecting the barges and cargo ships and all that. So big operation there. Um, so, okay. On December 22nd, 1977, um, which was like three days before Christmas at nine, 10 AM, uh, residents of greater new Orleans heard a loud blast and those in West Jefferson parish and the uptown neighborhood felt their houses shake as debris showered onto their roofs and streets. Um, one of the witnesses said a tremendous fireball shot a hundred feet above the West Wago river riverfront by a thousand foot mushroom cloud of grain. Oh my God. <laughs> grain flying through the air into the river. You could watch, watch the ducks on the river go for the grain. But they so were, like, they thought they died and went to heaven. Yeah. Oh yeah. But a thousand like, foot high mushroom cloud of grain. They're like paradise. <laughs> um, the elevators of the Continental Grain Company had exploded. Wow. And it happened at the worst possible time. Workers were either clocking in at the facility's two-story cinder block office or were stopping by on their day off to collect their company Christmas turkeys. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. So wait, so the, okay. Go ahead. The what happened to them? Oh so while they were doing what they were doing, like clutching their turkeys or like working, um, the 250 foot tall main storage tower collapsed and it buried employees beneath a hundred and twenty foot pile pile high pile of rubble rubble. I can't speak tonight. Oh my god. So they're like buried. Yeah. So not good. Um oh. yeah. So as the Times Pecuni or Picayune, I think it's Picayune, 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 Picayune. Yeah, yeah. As the Times Picayune reports, um, I said Picayune, <laughs> or is Repo- it Picayune? It's a P I C A Y U N E. I don't know. I have no idea. Yeah. So as that newspaper reports, the scene of the explosion on December 22nd looked like a block of bombed out European city at the end of World War II. In addition to the twisting, burning wreckage of the giant elevator, 45 silos had their tops blown off. Wow. So it was like a huge explosion. Wow. 45. Mm-hmm. Damn. Um, by noon, the confirmed death toll stood at 10. The next day it rose to 15, including sev- uh, seven federal inspectors. Then someone remembered a group of construction workers who had entered the elevator early that fateful morning. And when their remains were found, the death toll soared to a 25. Oh, no. <coughs> Excuse That's me. horrible. Yeah. 
um, on Christmas day, the headline of the times Picune or whatever it is, uh, read elevators ruins yield 33 bodies. Um, as firemen spent the holiday dynamiting their way through the rubble, seeking others by new year's, the final death toll was confirmed at 36 in all 11 survived. Wow. So, um, 48 of the 73 silos holding soybeans, wheat, and oats were destroyed. Most of the 36 people who died were trapped in that two-story cinder block office building that was crushed by the explosion of the 25-story grain elevator. I mean, that's a huge elevator, grain elevator, 25 stories. Oh, yeah. Um, There were tons of rumors as to what caused the blast. Some set a fire, others set a bomb. But the state agricultural commissioner, Gil Dozier, suggested it may have been caused indirectly by the two-month-old National Longshoresmen's strike that delayed tons of grain shipments along the Mississippi and backlogged them in the elevator. So there was like, at this point, a backlog of combustible material possibly ignited by static electricity. Like, so maybe one of the conveyor belts had static electricity and it ignited the combustible grain dust. Uh, Okay. (laughs) I I don't even, I don't get it. Like, okay. Yeah. So the strain. Okay. So here's the weird part. So the strange part is in this same, this very same week that this happened in new Orleans, Um, three other elevator blasts had occurred during December 21st through the 27th, same year in Wayne city, Illinois, which had one fatality to Mississippi, which had two fatalities and Galveston, Texas, which had 14 fatalities. The frequency and similar explosions suggested a common cause, which was dust particles suspended in oxygen become highly susceptible to ignition, be it by a fire, a spark, friction, or static electricity. As a result, a blast can occur that's so powerful, it obliterates all evidence of what went wrong. Oh, wow. So there was this strike and all of this backlog of grain was like held in like all these different cities. And this dust was very flammable. and. I can see if there was like a machine issue in like one of the factory or whatever, not factory, but whatever it was, the companies, but how does that happen? Like to four different places and like in the same week, like that is just so like mind blowing. So Um, at this time, they didn't know that the accumulation of too much of the like crop yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, they didn't, they didn't know, but like, so the continental grain, uh, grain elevator explosion ranks among the worst industrial disasters in modern Louisiana history and the deadliest disaster to date in the nation's grain industry. The disaster led to new understandings and safety regulations here and a worldwide, um, and worldwide containing and con- about containing and controlling combustible grain dust, which is thought to be contributing factor in the explosion. This is wild. I've never heard of this. Me either. <laughs> this is crazy. Mm-hmm. 
So it's just, to me, it's one thing if like a machine like was messed up and like sparking and it caused like a, a thing, right. but they're all alluding because it happened in different spots, like in the same week with this backlog of grain sitting that it was static right. electricity. Right. Isn't that wild? It is. It really is. So now they have like regulations in place. Cause this was 1977. Um, and they have like different protocols to like, you know, contain the dust. <clears throat> so anyway, I thought that was crazy. Yeah. Um, and so there I have, there's, this is another story. I have this, um, video that I'm going to post. I found it. It's amazing. Um, so it's, it, you can literally see it go down. It's crazy. So this worker in Southeast China, he was transporting bundles of cotton yarn wrapped in plastic bags. And he's like in the back of his truck, you can see him. And, um, he gets down from the, he's like in the material or whatever. And then he gets down and you see him step on the metal floor of the lorry in his truck. And it discharged the built up static electricity and immediately ignited the yarn into balls of flames. Like, so you see this happen on video, which I'll share. I'm like afraid now to be (laughs) alive in my house and car. I know. This is crazy. I know it's that I'm, I'm always afraid of it. And I have, I get, I actually get hurt when I get shocked. It, it does not feel good. I'm, I'm, I'm not afraid like something's going to burst into flames and, yeah. I, and it's, I don't know how to prevent it. Fully. Yeah. No static is a big deal. Like, um, Jeez. it says it is unclear what type of injuries the man sustained, but he survived. The video was shared by Facebook group one, one nine fire network, a Taiwanese information sharing platform for fire safety and uh, for the fire safety industry. And it says experts warned that this similar, that similar accidents could be prevented by installing anti-static belts in the lorry and maintaining high humidity levels by installing mist sprayers. So if he had had like mist sprayers in his like truck, it probably wouldn't have happened. Mm. Um, it is also recommended that workers wear cotton clothing instead of synthetic ones as natural fibers such as wool, cotton, and linen generally produce less static than synthetic ones um, such as polyester. Right. So now they have like certain rules for certain like workers to like, because that if you think about like just like imagining like plastic with cotton like wrapped in cotton and metal, like I instantly get the freaks. Like I can't, not the freaks or what do you, call, I don't even know what I'm trying to say. I get the chills. Like the I can freaks. feel it. The What's freaks. that? I don't even know what I said. You're like, I get, I the, get the freaks. freaks. <laughs> it sounds like something someone would say in like the fifties. Oh, that's funny. I get the freaks. Yeah. Cat. Um. Okay. So and then in November 2018, a man living in, here we go, Luolang, Hunan province in central China. That sounds good. Oh, thanks. Had been transporting a batch of gunpowder on a wheelbarrow at a factory when static electricity ignited the explosive material into a ball of flames. Also on video. So I have these two on video that I'll share. He's just like wheeling it around and then like he like static electricity like he like caused it to like explode 
just by like standing next to it. The worker sustained non-life threatening burns to his body and was immediately taken to the hospital. So I'll share that. Um, There was a Hawaiian lab explosion um, in March, 2016. Thea Ekins Coward, who was a researcher at the university of Hawaii in uh, Manoa. Um, she was at the lot, or I don't know if it was a she. Is a Thea? Is Thea she? Thea he? is typically a, a uh, woman. Thea, or maybe it's they. Who knows? Um, well, how does it? How do you spell it? Um, I mean, like they, as in like they don't identify. I don't know. Oh, uh, t- oh, like they have gender neutral pronouns. Yeah, yeah. But as soon as I said that, I was like, oh wait, it does. It is spelled like they. It's a T H E A. So but if they're the, saying yeah. they in what you, whatever you read, then you should say they and them and there when you're talking about them. But they didn't say that. No. Oh, oh yeah. Um, okay. So she was at the lab doing research. And as a part of her research, she was combining hydrogen, carbon dioxide, and oxygen gases from high pressure cylinders into a low pressure tank. Um, so the gas mixture was basically like food for bacteria being used to produce biofuels and bioplastics. This is a little above my head, but it's, I'm I'm trying. Yeah. She's basically doing experiments. This cool stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Um, This experiment calls for gases to be plumed through a mixing device called a gas proportioner directly into a bioreactor. So I had to look up what plumed mean means, but it's like putting it through an upright surface. So like, she's like, basically putting this gas like vertically through. Yeah. Cause like a plume is like, like a peacock plume or whatever. Yeah. It's like a tall. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the gas gauge being used to identify, um, sorry, the gas gauge that she was like tr- supposed to use was like, um, mo- it was labeled safe. Um, and it was, it was designed to prevent, ignition, um, ignition essentially. Mm -hmm. But after, um, Thea started in the lab last fall or not last fall, like when she started in the fall of 2015, uh, she had purchased a 49 L steel gas tank, which is like a different gauge, um, that was not like labeled safe essentially. And, um, basically like she started messing with that to do her experiments. And so she would add the gases to a portable tank, which would be then connected to a bioreactor. She was using a mixture of 70% hydrogen, 25% oxygen, and 5% carbon dioxide in her experiment. Um, the 49 L tank exploded when, um, Thea pressed the off button on the gauge. She did not lose consciousness or hit her head, but she lost her arm. Like her arm exploded off. Um, Sucks. So after this, she's like in shock and she like, can't get the lab door open. So the door is stuck. She has no, she's missing an arm. So like security officers and like, they heard everything like the blast and they, are trying to get in and um, they had to get like a graduate student, like, and the security officer kicked down the door to get her out. And her arm was severed just above her elbow. Oh um, and because she bought and assembled another pressure gauge that like, then the safe one she was supposed to be using that was recommended, 
Um, it caused a static electricity that led to the explosion. Um, so like whatever that this, this gauge she was using, like wasn't grounded. So like the static electricity, like made the whole explosion again, this is very scientific, but it's like, it's still important to like, note if you are out there doing experiments, like be really careful. Um, in the week before the incident, a similar setup with a 3.8 L tank resulted in a small internal explosion. Um, when Thea had pressed the off button on the gauge. So this, like when she pressed the off button on the gauge, and the explosion that where she lost her arm, that's like when it happened is when she pressed the off button. Um, so this like similar thing happened like a week ago before or a week before this happened to her. So also occasionally experienced static shocks when, um, sorry, she also experienced occasionally um, static shocks when she touched the tank. So she was already like having static electricity. She mm-hmm. was messing with this. Um, and she reported the shocks and possibly the small explosion to Juan Yu, um, which, who was like the Hawaiian natural energy Institute researcher that she was working with, but he told her not to worry about it. He was like, Oh, don't worry. You know, Mm -hmm. it'll be fine. Right. Um, so anyway, the, what happened is, um, the technical report from the UC center, for laboratory safety said that the main conclusion is that the tank was not grounded and the digital pressure gauge acted as a path to ground for a static charge that ignited the hydrogen oxygen mixture um, contained with a 13 gallon pressure tank. So basically <clears throat> it was like a bomb going off. Um, it's it, like the, when your tank's not grounded, it's like the electricity can flow and just spark it and go you know yeah and that that term grounded is um something i've heard many many times mm-hmm. when it comes to electricity yeah um and this by far to me is the most fascinating of all of it um and you probably know it um the hindenburg disaster Oh my God. That had to do with static electricity. Mm-hmm. Holy shit. I didn't and they know just that. figured that out. Did you know that? No, mm-hmm. I had no idea. I I've seen footage of it in flames. Oh uh-huh. God. It's so it's like, I think even before my, like, um, what's that movie that like ruined flying for me? Final destination. I think I already had a fear of flying and all of that because of this like blimp disaster. Well, blimps are all, they're very, they're horrible. They're shady. They're like, they're the worst things I've ever seen. Yeah. There's, they're so dumb. Like who would ever go on that? No. Right. Like you, you, I would. Okay. Would you rather? (laughs) Yeah. Would you rather go in a blimp or go in a duck boat? (laughs) Duck boat. Easy. (laughs) Yeah. Same. Absolutely. Cause you can just get, you can, you can, you get can just, out. yeah, you can maybe, maybe people die on duck boats. Cause they don't leave the duck boat when it's sinking. Yeah. Or they leave too late. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. So one of the most famous disasters of all time is the Hindenburg blimp disaster. You guys have all probably seen it. The giant blimp. If you're American at least. Yeah. Well, yeah. no, it was a German blimp. But it was in America, right? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So there's an excellent, and I recommend it to everybody. And in fact, I like watched this, like, I think I 
a year ago and I was like obsessed. And it's so this topic is I've been wanting to do it, but it's a little difficult because it's like, you know, electricity. And that's like, again, hard for me to understand. But um, anyway, the documentary is called Hindenburg, the new evidence. And it's like a Nova documentary, um, which like is like a PBS thing. So you can find it. You can watch it on PBS.org. It's really good. I love Nova. Yeah. Okay. So. On May 6th, 1937, the German Hindenburg blimp was flying over New Jersey and ignited in seconds before crashing to the ground in front of so many people. Mm. Um, On that day in May, the Hindenburg had just arrived in New Jersey after a three day journey from Frankfurt, Germany. So I didn't know that. Like, I don't I didn't know much about it, but it came from Germany. It like flew across the ocean. I cannot believe that piece of shit made it across (laughs) the Atlantic. That's ridiculous. Like, why? What the hell? Like, that thing, it just looks terrifying. It's like, yeah. Okay. I don't get, like, where do you sit uh, in it? Is, it there, is there, like, because... There's... Like, wasn't there a blimp? Have you seen the movie Up? Mm-mm. It's a Pixar movie. No, I haven't. <laughs> there's a, I think there's a blimp in that and there's a whole interior. And I was like, is this just for the movie or. Okay. So I think I didn't really get too much into w- like that, but I think like based on what I've like seen in the blueprints, there's a whole like, yeah, there's like a whole place for people. There's an interior section. Yeah. Like a but big like, one. Yeah. It's really big, but like the big blown up part is just hydrogen. It's just like a giant bomb of hydrogen. Oh my God. Essentially. Yeah. It's like that whole thing is air and there's like a little, I mean, I'm sure it's big enough to like hold a lot of people and like they can sleep there, but yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So the airship, they called an airship by the way, um, which I thought was interesting. Cause hmm. I always called it like a blimp, but it, like the technical term, I guess, is an airship. Really? Sounds like way cooler than a blimp, but a blimp um, is not a good. <laughs> yeah. A blimp. I know. Um, so the airship dropped its landing lines at about 7 17 p.m. So it's still up in the air and it drops drops these giant thick ropes to like get it to land essentially. Uh-huh. <clears throat> So four minutes later, the Hindenburg was suddenly engulfed in flames and plummeted to the ground. And if you guys like watch this video, like those videos that they have, it's it only took 32 seconds for this thing to completely incinerate. 32 seconds. 32 seconds for real. Yeah. Oh my God. And like when you watch the video, you see it just explode fire crashing down the things like gone it's crazy i didn't know it was that quick like you can still see some of the metal frames of it like when it hits but it's like yeah it's crazy um when the smoke cleared 35 people on the airship and one member of the ground crew were dead so like they just like died really fast um horrible death oh my god like because it's not like you're in a plane crash where you lose consciousness right away you know, yeah, I was just gonna be, I was just gonna ask a would you rather be in a plane crash or a blimp? Crash? Oh, a, a plane, because a, <laughs> supposedly when a plane is descending very quickly, you lose consciousness, you have no idea what's gonna happen to you. Yeah, this sounds like it's like being in a um, 
like a hot air balloon where you're dead until you hit the fucking ground. Yeah, no, like let's do a plane. That's fine. I I just watched a um there's like a series on YouTube. I think it's like GQ does it an insider magazine. Uh-huh. Where they ask experts to watch like scenes from movies and talk about how accurate or inaccurate it is. And I watched oh, one with a um air crash investigator. He's been mm-hmm. an investigator for like 30 years. And uh-huh. he said um when a plane when there's like some kind of explosion where like people are taken out of the plane, like people fly out of the plane, uh-huh. you you get knocked out, but then you will wake up when you're <gasps> no. falling through the air because you're you're out of that pressurized situ- like um, environment. Yeah. Oh, because like you're getting closer to ground, so you wake up. Because you're in air, you're in you're you're descending into like regular air. You're no. Oh longer- my god! Can you imagine no being blown out of a plane and then waking up and you're falling. I, I it's anyway. That's disgusting. So yeah, I, I think we need we need. Um, I don't understand why every seat doesn't have a parachute. Okay, so <laughs> that's I've researched that before. It's obviously like a logistical thing. I I think it's like it just wouldn't work. Okay, fine. Then we need to just have a parachute on our back so we can be like peace out. I don't think that would make it through security, but mm, I yeah. agree. Because I have my brother and I have a friend who skydives like all the time and he showed us his pack where with the with the um parachute and like you could just if you detonated that in the side of the plane yeah it would be a really big problem yeah yeah well i've like i've seen like these drawings that people are working on but it's too expensive to do but i really hope someone does it is where the actual plane has a parachute like if something's going wrong the actual plane like, has like a parachute that like lift like safely like lets oh, it that, to the ground. Like um when the space ships yeah. come oh, when they come through the atmosphere and they land. Yeah, why why don't why? they have a parachute on it's, commercial? Why? Elon. I know. Bezos, Elon. do something. <laughs> do it. <clears throat> okay. Um, so 35 people in the airship die. One's dead from the ground crew. Okay. On the day of the incident, news photographers were already filming the Hindenburg at the Naval Air Station in Lakehurst, New Jersey. Because, like, it was coming in. It was a big deal. It had just come from Germany. Mm -hmm. Um, When they realized the airship was burning, they rushed to record images of it on fire. And, like... This is some some of the best known images that we have of the disaster. So, like, everybody's seen those images. Like, so a bunch of news people were there and just, like, started recording. And the fire happens, the explosion and fire happens so fast that, like, they could get, you know, what they could get. Right. Um, but what's so weird is that all of the news people um, from the news stations were all kind of in the same place. Like, the whole crowd was all in the same place. So these these news channels only got footage of the disaster from like a similar angle. Wow. So they were all like, no one like really had other angles. So it was like interesting. However, 
an amateur photographer named Howard Schneck or Shank, I think it is. Um, he was also at the scene with a Kodak eight millimeter consumer film camera, but he was at a different spot on the field, like completely away from the news people. Mm-hmm. He was just like out there checking it out. Um, Shank realized that the Hindenburg was on fire and began and began filming earlier than the newsreel photographers did. Um, his wide angle lens and side view of the airship captured the Hindenburg's entire length as it burned, offering a perspective that was missing in the news camera coverage. I was going to say, he's got to be the guy that we, that we see the footage of now. Uh, yes. Like, you know. new footage, but it's new because this is so the Hindenburg actually up until very recently was a cold case. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That people couldn't figure it out. So anyway, they were like, we, you know, they had their theories, but they couldn't figure out exactly how. So I'll get into that. Um, so Shank's view of the burning Hindenburg was really helpful and it revealed what actually happened because oh, okay. he was just like this random guy with a random angle that the can't, that the news people didn't have. So airship, uh, sorry, airships, um, like the Hindenburg were made of metal frame, um, that was covered by a cotton skin, um, that was inflated with hydrogen was, which is like extremely flammable. <laughs> it's that, like I said, skin. yeah. So it's like metal frames wrapped with cotton skin, like a cotton fabric. And it was spray painted with this paint called dope, believe it or not. <laughs> dope. It was called dope, um, and it, which gave it its like metallic sheen. So it like kind of looks like metal, but it's really cotton. So metal frame, cotton skin, painted, filled with hydrogen. Very flammable. Right, right, right. <clears throat> and hydrogen is highly flammable, like I said. And if it's exposed to air and mixes with oxygen, it explodes like basically or no sorry it doesn't it doesn't explode it's just it becomes even more flammable flammable when it's exposed to air and mixes with oxygen that's what i mean it won't like explode on contact okay um okay so german american investigators determined at the time that the cause of the disaster was a spark caused by static discharge which then ignited the hydrogen leak so they thought they had like a hydrogen leak as well um, so there, so here's the thing here. There was a thunderstorm that day, which created an electrically charged environment that increased mm. the risk of static discharge. So, like I said, like, you know, cold can affect it, dry, um, air can affect it, but also thunderstorms like naturally, like make it really staticky. Mm-hmm. Um, so the operator also had good reason to believe that hydrogen was escaping near the Hindenburg's tail as there was un- as there was an unusual heaviness in that area that could have indicated a leak. So they all had a feeling that there was a leak. Um, given the circumstances with the, the thunderstorm and the leak, they should not have attempted what is known as a high landing in which an airship would drop its landing ropes while still at a high altitude and would then be winched to the ground. So like they were up really high still and then like dropped four of their landing ropes around them. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and this is a practice that had had a higher risk of generating sparks than a lower landing would. Um, so Dan Grossman, who was an aviation historian and writer, um, really into like the Hindenburg and stuff and, you know, trying to figure out this, like what really happened. Um, he went to the 75th, um, anniversary memorial service of the Hindenburg disaster in Lakehurst, New Jersey in 2012, when he was approached by Bob Schneck, the nephew of the amateur photographer, Howard Shank. I'm not saying that. I think it's Shank. And I said, Bob Schneck. <laughs> I know. I was like, but, what? <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, so Bob's a nephew. He's attending this 2012, like memorial. And his uncle was the one who took the, the amateur film. Mm-hmm. Um, and he basically said to Dan, who's that aviation historian, he said, Hey, you know, I have some home movie footage of the accident that had been shot, you know, by my uncle. And at the time of the accident in 1937, none of the investigators were interested in Howard's footage, um, likely because they already had footage from news cameras and didn't care about seeing multiple angles of the event. Which doesn't that like you're an investigator? Like, yeah, doesn't that mean you're not investigating by having multiple angles? Yeah, but it was 1937, too. So they were probably like. Hey, you know, I already got some camera footage. Yeah. <laughs> <I'm> tra- <laughs> ah, that's amazing. I was trying to do that. Like, hello, my baby. Hello, my baby. <laughs> what did we say earlier that I said it sounded like it was like in the forties. He gave me the freaks. Yeah. <laughs> hey, we got the freaks over here. <laughs> Multiple angles. That gives me the freaks. <laughs> yeah. So like, you know, at that time, they were probably like, Hey, kid, we already have some news angles over here. that's true i i think that happened yeah so he's like oh my god like this guy the aviation person historian he's like oh my god like please give me this footage i need it and so he did and um he said like here's a quote he said my reaction was just wow i cannot believe we have this angle The footage begins earlier than other film footage, so it shows more of the accident from an earlier point, which was really important. Yes. Um, Shank's film camera also captured a full broadside view of the ship from nose to tail, showing the Hindenburg during its final seconds of level flight as it was engulfed in flames until it hit the ground as a flaming shell. So, um, yeah, just like got like a totally bigger view um but because of where the newsreel photographers were which was very close to the bow or nose of the airship you just didn't see that so he got like what the news people didn't see as we know right right um so because shank started filming earlier than the news cameras and while it doesn't capture the moment of ignition it does show the dropping of the ropes This prompted the PBS documentary investigators to question if the ropes might have conducted enough electricity to spark the fatal fire. Mm. So now they know exactly when the ropes went down and they could see it um, based on this new footage. They realized that the landing of the ropes allowed a spark to happen because they gave electricity a path from the ship to the ground. So I'm going to get into like 
layman's terms of how this kind of works. Cause I had to for myself. So when you have like a normal, like, let's say you have a lamp and you're plugging it into the wall. When you hold like a cord, there's always two wires. One's going to, from the wall to the lamp, even though it's like one cord, there's two wires in it. Mm-hmm. One's going from the wall to the lamp. And then it's flowing back to the wall through like through the other direction, through the other wire, essentially. Right. So in a house, when something's plugged in, the electricity electricity goes from one side of the outlet to whatever it's plugged in and goes back to the other side of the outlet. Um, but it only flows when it has a path. So if you take away the path, the flow stops. Um, so the airship was carrying electricity on its skin because it was like traveling, like anytime you have a craft moving in air, it accumulates a charge. Mm-hmm. So planes have a ton of static right. on it. Um, so as long as the, so, but as long as the airship or the craft doesn't have an electrical path, it can't flow. Right. So the weird part is, is that you know, from the minute the ropes hit the ground, it took about four minutes for the fire to spark. So what was the delay? Because mm. if you scientifically, the thing should have sparked the moment the ropes hit the ground. Right. So that was like the mystery. And the idea was that the ropes, you know, the first idea was like, okay, well, the ropes, um, were dry when they were released and they became more wet as like, you know, within that four minutes, which caused more of an electrical charge. And like in this documentary, you see the guy, like he's testing a dry rope and there, and he has like a thing that tells you like the, the charge, the electric charge. And it's interesting because there's still connectivity. There's still like a, a charge there um, when it's dry, but as he sprays it, it gets like higher and higher. So there's like a bigger chance, but still that didn't really like solve the issue of why it was like a four minute delay. Um, so the idea is that the rope was somewhat conductive to begin with, but there was a light rain, which made it more conductive. However, the explosion should have happened as soon as the ropes ropes to the ground. So they looked at the paint covering the airship skin fabric, which I mentioned was called dope. And it gave that airship that metallic sheen color. Um, but like, that's not really what um, caused it either. Cause they were thinking, Oh, maybe it's the paint that has something to do with it. It didn't. Mm-hmm. So then they looked at the, um, um, the metal frames of the, of the blimp or the airship. So the airship had metal frames, but the fabric never touched the metal panels of the fabric were connected by Rami twine, which doesn't sound very strong, but it was like strong twine. No, it was like twine. Yeah. Um, fucking thought strong. Yeah. And of course they tried to tie it tightly, but there was a space between the metal And the fabric. So the fabric and the metal never was touching on on purpose, right? Because you don't want the metal and and the fabric to touch Uh because if the metal is electrically charged and it touches the fabric, boom, there's like a, you know, you have a fire. Right. Right. Um, So, but the twine is like, you know, it's like the gap basically. Right. Um, And then 
they also put these wooden pegs between the skin and the metal frames to prevent the charge on the skim from reaching the frame. Um, so this design was to prevent no electric, uh, no electrical connection between the skin and the frame. Like I mentioned, like we didn't want them to touch. Um, so the skin is electrically charged in the air and the ropes dropping electrically charges the metal frame of the airship. And now there's a powerful charge in the little gap between mm. the metal frame and the skin. Oh no. So the question is, how did the electrical charge jump from the metal frame to the skin? And why did it take four minutes? I found this so fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it, um, it is. Uh, and so they did a test in the lab. And the electrical charge didn't jump over to the skin when it was dry. Um, Cause they like basically like simulated the same thing um, with the, you know, the, the metal and the, uh, the, the skin of the fabric. And then they had the gap like exactly the way it was. And they had this in the lab. So it was dry, nothing happened, but it was raining that day again. And it also had just crossed the Atlantic ocean. So it had salt particles on it too. Mm-hmm. Um, so rain and salt make a conductive mixture. And so in the lab, when they sprayed a salt water mixture, um, on this thing, there is a giant spark and the spark moved from the metal to the skin. It, it like caused it to jump. Cause water conducts electricity. Yeah. So th- basically that gap that was, that was like separating them. It did given the conditions, the electricity jumped from the metal to the skin and boom, you have a spark. So then it occurs to researchers that when the ropes hit the ground, it made the airship a capacitor, which I had talked about, which is capable of starting more of a charge that was initially existing on the surface of the aircraft. And that means it can take time to charge up. So as soon as those ropes hit, the thing started charging like a, like an iPhone basically. Oh my God. Yeah. It started charging like mad and like, (sighs) He, and like, like so much that like eventually with some water, that electric charge is going to jump from the metal to the skin, but they didn't know that obviously. So a capacitor, again, it's a very simple device that allows you to store energy. Typically it contains two conductive plates separating are separated by a non-conductive insulator. So charge builds up on the plates, positive and negative, And until it's strong enough to jump across the gap. Like, so it just charges and then it will jump. Um, If you look at the Hindenburg, the skin represents the top surface of the capacitor and the metal frame represents the bottom surface of the capacitor. So the charge can jump from one to another. So it's like a giant capacitor basically that like, yeah. So I'm looking just like, I, w- I just wanted to Google. Yeah, it's it really it's more of a visual it. thing. Yeah. And it's funny. I'm now just noticing the surface. I always thought it was like a metal surface. But if you look, it really does look like fabric that's been like spray painted. Exactly. Oh, my God. I thought it was solid. Yeah. Okay. No, it's good that you looked at that for sure. And like you should try to get like a close up of. Or just watch this documentary. It's so good. Like, it just, like, shows you everything. Um, So the positive charge from the air collects on the skin. And the negative charge collects from the ropes on the ground. So it's like the capacitor again. Positive, Mm -hmm. negative. They're all coming from different, from the air to the ground. 
increasing the electric field between skin and frame until finally it's strong enough to jump across the gap. Boom. There's your explosion. So here's the thing. They still were like, okay, four minutes, four minutes. Why? Like they knew it takes time to charge, but like, does that really explain the theory? And so then the scientist in the documentary did the math and he used how much it would take to charge the surface of the airship and compares it with the rate of the um, atmospheric electricity flowing through in the stormy conditions of that specific day. So they like did the math of like exactly what was going on that day. Um, And so he wrote down the numbers and calculated of how long it would take for everything to charge before it would make that kind of jump. And it was exactly four minutes. Ah, isn't that wild? It is wild. And that is what caused the explosion and the incineration of that blimp. Okay. Also, 32 seconds. Um, I'm looking at photos. They so they had Nazi signs. Oh yeah. There's um I have some more I have some more info about this. Um so this was during World War One. Mm-hmm. Um, well, like, I guess the, the rise of airships were, so it was a German thing. Um, the company was actually called Zeppelin. Um, and they were so confident in their design and like, they were like really proud of their airships. Um, they had over 38 or 37 years of flying these things. So they just were like the expert in these, in the airships and Zeppelin was like a huge company. Um, so basically, uh, Germans used airships, uh, in world war one and they like had flown over a hundred of them in 37 years, which doesn't seem like a lot, but it is like for massive, like, like airships, I guess at that time. So this wasn't, so this Hindenburg disaster wasn't the first time airships had exploded and burned. Um, there were actually tons of accidents with these things and because of how many accidents and danger, dangerous, like how dangerous they were to fly, they actually wanted to switch to using helium, which was like much safer. Um, but helium was only an American resource in these days and the world supply existed in a 250 mile radius of Armorillo, Texas at the time. <sighs> it was like the only place you could get it. And the U.S. passed the Helium Control Act in 1927, which forbid foreign countries from buying it. I'm not sure why. Maybe the helium bomb. Or was that a thing? Or is that a hydrogen bomb? It's hydrogen. Oh. (laughs) Is there a helium bomb? A giant balloon. (laughs) Like, hey, guys. How's it going? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, Like, um, South Park. Oh yeah, that's true. Character. Um, can I can I just say something? Side yeah, note? yeah. I'm remembering now how Led Zeppelin got their name. Was it from the the blimp? Thing? Yeah. Oh because wow! They were performing, and I guess somebody in the audience. Okay, this needs to be googled, and I'm not going to google it right now. But somebody they overheard someone when they were first starting out say, "Wow, these guys are going to go over like a lead balloon." And they were like, oh we God. will, we will raise your criticism and up you from a, you know, a Zeppelin. 
which is a Zeppelin is an air. It's an airship. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, the company was named and that's why they, their name is Led Zeppelin. And you know, that's, that's so great. I love that story. Yeah. Isn't that cool? I just mm-hmm. remembered that. I feel like my a teacher in like high school told me that. Story. Yeah. That's, I think you're right. And I think on one of their album covers, they have a picture of it. Ooh. I of, think so. Of the Hindenburg or just a blimp in general. It's like, I think the blimp going down. The blimp going down. I think. Yeah. It's um, fucked. It's Led Zeppelin one. It's literally like, if you Google that, it's like the cover. It's like the blimp on yeah. fire. Yeah, 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 that's yeah. badass. That's really cool. Um, that's why I was like, yeah, like because I remembered that picture on one of their albums. There you um, go. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, basically, like, so yeah, and like in this article, they always referred to it as Zeppelin, like a Zeppelin, but it was Zeppelin. like the Hindenburg was like the name of it. Yeah, right. Um, a, yeah, but blimp is like the more casual. Yeah. Because nobody calls it a Zeppelin. Everybody calls it a blimp. Yeah, exactly. Um, so based on this like helium control act that like, a, you know, America was like, you can't have any. And um, yeah, so like they just they the Hindenburg actually was designed to use helium, but they had like stick with hydrogen. Mm hmm. So that sucks for them. But um, what was I going to say? Um, basically, the the guy who, uh, Gary Tarpinen, the PBS directory, uh, sorry, documentaries executive producer said in a statement, thanks to this stunning new footage, we were able to revive a cold case investigation surrounding one of the most iconic disasters of the 20th century. So if this guy hadn't like have gone and been like, hey, I have a home video. Like, we would right. have just never known. Um, and then Dan Grossman said in the documentary, he was, like, the aviation guy, um, historian, who, like, was approached by um, the nephew of that photographer, said, you can never operate a hydrogen airship in complete safety, and you can certainly never operate one in complete safety where there are thunderstorms, but you can operate it in a safer or less safe manner and they ch- and they chose the less safe manner by choosing a high landing rather than a low landing. In part, the tragedy unfolded as it did because the officers who were flying the airship didn't follow well-established established safety protocols that made airship flights safe, or at least as safe as it could be. It was never going to be safe. You can never safely operate a flying bomb, but the Germans had developed a very deliberate and careful protocol on how to operate airships. And many of these were ignored. Um, and that is the story of static electricity or stories. Okay. <laughs> static so electricity. also going back to the blimp. Yeah. The Goodyear blimp. Okay. Do they actually still have that? I don't going? know, but <clears throat> I just thought of that. I was like, where, when do we ever see blimps again? I don't know anymore, but it was the Goodyear blimp. That was like their thing. And like, why are they, why is that still happening in life? <laughs> well, I, okay. So I just, Googled is it? it? Yeah, it, me too. The, I just, I, <laughs> 2017, they got rid of it. Oh, really? The Goodyear blimp. It says, I said, okay. 
how many Goodyear blimps are there in the world? In the world, there are about 10 operational blimps. Oh, not Goodyear blimps, but just regular it's blimps. No, oh, okay. Goodyear operates four of those out of the 10. Blimps so are a rare site, which means this, why. Okay. This says Goodyear's last true blimp, non-rigid airship, was retired in 2017. But there is a... It looks like a blimp. It's not actually a blimp. It's a semi-rigid airship that's still hanging out. They're so terrifying looking. Like, why would you fly that? I swear I saw one in person one time when I was like in Florida. Yeah. Ago, and it was just there. And it was so dumb. I think they were like so, weren't they so much more common when you and I were like little? Yeah. Like, I feel like, um, the, it, yeah, it, it was more prevalent. I can't remember the last time I saw a blimp, but I know I've seen one, like maybe the Goodyear one, probably. But like, I don't like, I don't like even think like people, it, it said 10 operational blimps in the world now, right? Yeah. Like for good reason. Like, why would you ever do that to your life? I'm actually looking at, ew, this is so gross. Airbnb, Goodyear blimp will let you stay overnight in the airship. No, thanks. Oh, it's just like grounded and you can stay in it. Or yeah. It and it's actually looks really nice. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. This makes sense. They they're like operating out of Florida with these blimps. That's why probably why I saw it in Florida. Yeah. I mean, it's just terrifying. I don't. I know. I don't I'm know. sure they're filled with like helium now or whatever they are, but still like, it's like, I just don't trust it. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? So like, anyway, I just, and you know, honestly, I had a hard time finding, I think static, like Static electricity obviously is very prevalent. It can happen to anybody. Everybody's experienced it, but it's very rare to die from it, but you really can. So be careful. (laughs) I am so relieved because when you told me what your topic was, I was thinking that people were shocked to death. Oh no. Yeah. I'm, and I'm, I'm really sorry about all the people that died from static electricity causing explosions, but like, I feel more calm about yeah, this now. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Wow. It's just it's just really fascinating that like these things exist. Yeah, like to think that you know this thing that we can't control, you know. I mean, that's why we do this podcast. I know. We can't control any of this, but like this <laughs> this this little just like you know, chemical exchange or whatever, like, you know, ionic exchange happens all the time and it could just explode anything. Yeah. Conditions. And like already this was like a term paper and a half, like this was a lot, but like, there's so much more to it. Like I, I stumbled upon some like static electricity issues with planes and I like, couldn't go there. I like wanted to, but I was like, yeah, like apparently it can cause a lot of issues. I was just thinking that flying, like, yeah. Do we need to worry about? I think we do, but I don't. But there must they they must have figured it out by now. 
I think, yeah, I, again, I think because like they're electronically charged on the outside and I don't think there's a way to ground it. However, it's just like, I, I, I couldn't get into it of how it could happen. So like, I don't know, but. Wow. And I, you know, in the past also, I've seen other videos of like gas stations, like catching, like gas station fires from static electricity that's definitely a thing i just couldn't find any like valid sources but i've seen it in my life like i've seen like videos of it but Mm -hmm. i definitely will share those videos that i have of the stories i told um and i'll share the link to the documentary too it's really good but you know like just watching that it's really scary watching the blimp go down like to me, like big machinery and like even standing next to a giant ship or like a plane, like really freaks me out. Me too. Is that like, isn't that weird? No, it's just like standing next to it. Like gives me the like weird, these weird vibes. Yeah. yeah. No, I agree. And like watching something like that explode and and incinerate like in 32 seconds would be like crazy. And imagine how hot, like, that must have been, like, even as, like, a bystander, like, watching it. I know. I know. <clears throat> scary. Your Very eyebrows scary. would, like, burn off. Yeah. Or your would, eyelashes. When you stand next to, like, a bonfire, it's bad enough. Yeah, totally. You know what happened to me one time at a bonfire? Hmm. Speaking of being near fires, this idiot that was there everybody was sitting around it. It was a huge bonfire. He decided to add a big piece of plywood to the bonfire. Yeah. And he stood up and he just dropped it. Like, like one side of it was sitting on the edge of the fire and he dropped it. So it like made a spray, like a fan effect, a spray of embers on, on me. Oh, that's so bad. From the air. Yeah. And one went in my eye. (gasps) Yeah. I had to leave. (sighs) It's horrible. I know. So it's like, I can't even imagine that heat. Yeah. No way. From a Mm -mm. situation like that. Totally. My God. I know. Crazy. Well, I hope you enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I learned so much. Me too. That was a lot. (laughs) Great. I kind of stay away from topics like this because I get overwhelmed like with science stuff, but like I tried really hard to break it down as best I could. <laughs> no, this is amazing. I didn't know what to expect. Like I said, I wasn't sure yeah. what this was even going to entail. So you good job. Thank you. And if you've been shocked by static electricity, write us in <laughs> at killerearthpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, I did. <laughs> Nothing happened. (laughs) It's going to be the most boring email ever. It just sucked. No, none of your emails are boring. We love all of them. Like, please reach out to us if you have a killer earth situation that you'd like to talk about. Or if you have a would you rather question, we'd love to answer it. Totally. Yes. I love would you rather. But we're going to do like more on topic topic you know yeah choices. we're just like getting a taste we're just giving you a taste of what's this to come. Is, yeah this is just a run through pooping tonight. your pants or peeing your pants mm-hmm. or which one would you choose okay here's one more <laughs> okay. 
Would you rather the only pet you can have for the rest of your life? Well, you don't have any pets, but your family does. But the only pet you could have for the rest of your life was a bird that had some weird disease where it would just like fall over and go to sleep okay. all the time. Okay. And like had just didn't do anything. Okay. Okay. It doesn't you, talk. Doesn't do anything. It just like walks around and falls over. Okay. It's the only pet you can have for the rest of your life. Or <clears throat> you ha- ha- you get a dog that only lives for a year and dies every <gasps> year. Oh. So you mm-hmm. have like this beautiful year with an amazing dog, but it always dies after a year. Or you have this bird for the rest of your life <laughs> that, doesn't, that just like falls over and like doesn't do anything. I would probably, uh, I would probably do the dog because I feel like I could give the dog a really good life. I would do the bird. You would? That sounded really weird. I would do the bird. <laughs> yeah, because I couldn't, I couldn't bear only a year yeah. with a dog. I would, I, I, like, I've had my dog for a long time and he's at the end of his life. And Oh yeah, it's, it's so tragic. I couldn't imagine losing a dog every single year. Would the bird never die? The bird doesn't, the bird outlives you, but it doesn't do anything. It's like so stupid. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I don't know. Like, I believe that a dog has like, I think it has dog years. So it thinks it's living way longer. So it just has a happy life and it just needs a family. I don't think I don't think dogs have any awareness that they're gonna die. They don't. don't, They're not. I don't think so. Aware of that. But I don't want a stupid bird. (laughs) At least it lives though, and it's never gonna die. Yeah, but it doesn't do anything. (laughs) Yeah, but at least it's like, like at least at least you don't have to like lose your dog every single year. Yeah, that's so true. That's horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, that that would be terrible. I guess I'll take the dumb bird. Take the bird. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking about it and I'm like, oh, all right. All right. Well, that was another enthralling episode of Killer Earth. Thanks. We have merch. Buy it. Love I was gonna us. say, I was gonna say, do your merch. Merch. <laughs> we have merch. Um, and Please leave us a review if you like us. That would be really helpful. Leave us a review if you hate us also. We want no. we want these reviews. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so excited to get hate. You're not. Why? Oh, Because God. I think it's hilarious. Oh, my God. You can take it. I what know. if that guy that you were fighting with about the drag story time, like, leaves us a bad review. <laughs> he might. He's crazy. He, Don't tell him he, we're on killer. He calls libraries and yells at the librarians. <laughs> I know. Nuts. What a loser. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for listening with us, and we'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye. I got a bite out on my shoe, and I'm naming it Days. Bite a Days, you bear haze.